This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. The king said to the Miyaldos Ibrios. Now, seemingly that means the Jewish midwives. Okay, the Jewish midwives. That one of their names was Shifra, and the other one's name was Pua. There's a lot of problems that you have to ask on this puzzle. Number one, what in the world is this plan? What was the plan of Paro to tell the Miyaldos to kill the children on their way out? What in the world kind of a plan was that? Who would listen to that? Number one. Number two. Wouldn't the mothers know that every baby is dying? Just obviously. And number three, did he really think that two midwives are going to take care of all the babies that are going to be born in a nation that had that was three million strong? How in the world were two people, two midwives, going to take care of everybody? Especially if they're having six at a time. If you're having six at a time, what in the world is going to happen over here? And I, I would assume that people were going to start to get very suspicious very quickly. Oh, we killed another one. Well, that would make a hundred out of a hundred. <laughs> That's not good. And it's likely that they're doing something. It's such a silly plan. And then, at the end of the day, why would they have agreed? Why would they have agreed to what Paro had to say? And then when they don't do it, and Paro approaches them and says, why didn't you do it? They're like, oh, they're wild animals. That is very easy to find out. Just go to the next birth and go see if they're lying or not. And tell, honestly, why wouldn't, the, why wouldn't Paro tail them to go see if they're telling the truth or not? Why wouldn't you do that? And they never get punished. Nothing ends up happening. All with, their, with all their excuses, nothing makes any sense. Aside from that, Paro says something in this first Pesach. What does he say? The king of Mitzrayim said to the Mialz of the Ebrios that one of their names was Shepherd, one of their names was Pua, and the next Pesach says, and he said to them, when you see a child come out, then you should kill him. So what did he say in the first Pesach? What was he talking about over here? Now those are a lot of questions. Someone's name should take away their self-identity. Okay. I don't know if you said it in the category where I've heard it others this week. That's what he wanted to do, take their self that answers one of the seven questions but that's not going to answer all of them we are going to mention that right but it is that is only an answer to one part of the questions over here yeah well they could have said that you know there's only two of us and there's three million strong we, um, but that's not what they said that's not what they said that's not what they said they said kichayosena they gave the excuse in the Pesach. We can't get around that. The Pesach says exactly what they said. You can, I, we can't make that up. So why wouldn't they have told him right, something like that? That would be a good excuse. Okay, the first thing we have to remember is from Victor Miller. This is a very important point, and it's something that's just a sowed for understanding all of Parshish, all of Sefer Shemos, to be able to understand what's going on. The reason we were exiled to a land like Egypt, the reason why we went to Egypt, and not Aram, and not Saudi Arabia, and not Europe, the reason why we went to Egypt was to make sure that our nation would be able to form itself in adverse conditions which were still there still available for us to be able to live in while still living in what we would call a vacuum Egyptian society was racist toward Ivrim they did not want to have anything to do with us they refused to eat with us they refused to go anywhere near us they looked at our jobs as being unbefitting their nation as very lowly they didn't like shepherds they didn't like anything like that and they felt that they had the right combinations of God's power everything like that that everything was there they 
no desire to mix in with the Jews in Goshen. They have no desire for the Jews in Goshen to come meet them in Mitzrayim. You know what that means? That means there's no assimilation. And it's not our issue. It's not something that we try to do. The Egyptians wouldn't let us assimilate with them. This was the perfect nation. Says we're Victor Miller, you're dealing with a nation that didn't want to be together with us. And that is the best situation for Jews to not have to deal with the assimilation that comes with all these things. See, on the one hand, having our enemies treat us like vermin is terrible because we get killed. On the other hand, having our enemies treat us like vermin means that they're not going to be near us. They're not going to do anything terrible to us. That's the concept, the idea that goes through, and this is the, such a crazy thing for Klal to be in Mitzrayim. If they would have been in Eretz Canaan, they would all be intermarried by now. Everybody would have intermarried. They would have started loving the, the Canaanite gods. The Shvatim had already, according to one parish, married into Canaanim. Dina had already been together with the Canaanite. There would have been tons of little Canaanite kids running around, half Canaanite, half Jews. That couldn't be a Gullus. We had to be in a place where they wouldn't be that way. Not only that, Egyptian society was a little bit different. Now, anybody who's read anything about slaves in America in around the 1800s knows it is horrible to be a slave. You barely get food. You barely live. You're working like a dog and things are terrible for you. But look at what Egyptian society did to the Jews. They stayed in Goshen. They were in their own ghetto. Granted, they were in a ghetto. But they lived on their own. They kept their own sheep and cattle and goats. They had their own when they left Mitzrayim. They had their own cattle and sheep and goats. What slaves own anything? They clearly had food and drink. They were feeding a lot of kids. Right? They were allowed to do these things. See, granted, there was barbarism that was going on from the Egyptians toward the Jews. But on the other hand, they treated the Jews like no one else could. Aaron and Moshe got a meeting with Paro. How do you go in to see the president if you're a slave. You don't go in to see the king. The king doesn't see you. You're not going to be able to get in. I'm sorry? So what? They're part of the tra- they're tra- part of the whole slave community. You wouldn't let them in. How did they get in the first place? No, and Aside from all that, a civil nation means you can't just get up right away and say, let's kill the babies. No civilized nation will accept that. They won't be able to get up. You can't just get up and say that. If he would have told them that, there would have been an outcry. There would have been protests in the street. There would have been people saying, don't kill the Jews. The Jews are still people. There would have been people saying stuff like that. He knew this had to be a slow but sure process to get his way that eventually all the Egyptians are on his side. Here was the slow process. He goes up to the Aldos, the little Jewish midwives, and he tells them, I want you to kill as many as you can. Don't do everybody because then people are going to start asking questions. Do it one by one. You see a situation where you can easily take advantage and kill a kid? Go kill a kid. I don't want you to kill everyone. That's not going to work. Kill as many as you can. And I'm not going to go to every midwife. I go to every midwife. Everyone's going to find out about this. She, he went to two important midwives, Shifra and Pua, and told them, this is what I want you to do. He infiltrated the Jewish system. He tried to cause discord within the Jews themselves. Tried to make it happen within themselves. So when the Egyptians say, how can we kill babies? How can we throw them into the river? Paro said, but they did it themselves. They did it. We don't know this. Although we know that Shifra and Pua didn't do what Paro wanted them to do? Who says that the propaganda that went out from Paro didn't include I even told the midwives to kill the little babies. Maybe he did. 
Maybe he did, maybe he said that. And what were the Jews going to do? Protest? No, we didn't kill any babies. How would anyone know? All you need is good PR. That's all you need. Good PR. In this case, it's terrible PR. And things work. In a civilized society, you can get anyone to do anything if you have to do it in the right way with the right marketing to try to get everybody together. You can do anything you want. Anything. And that's what Paro figured out. And this was the slow but sure climb. This is a, 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 a you sowed that you can use. This idea from a big demo you can use for all of Safer Schmokes. For all of what's going on over here in Mitzrayim and how it works. It was a different society than what they were used to. It was not as bad as we seem to make it as until the end when the slavery became too extreme. That's when it got really, really bad. When they started killing the Jews for nothing. When they started going around. When they were so used to it. They started treating them like nothing. That's when it became really bad. But at first, it was not that way. The society was not that way. Jonas Menezil says a crazy medrash. I did this just for you, Arya. In this medrash, Paro saw in his dream a massive scale. You know those scales? You know, with the things that weigh down on both sides? He saw a massive scale with two things, two heavy parts on both sides. Here's what he saw. On one side of the scale was the land of Egypt. He saw the entire land of Egypt being weighed down on one side. On the other side, he saw a bleeding lamb. Bleeding is in making those little noises. Just a little lamb on the other side. And he saw the scale tipped toward the side of the little lamb. All of Egypt went up into the air. And the lamb pulled them all down. He woke up. He called the cartoonists. He called all of his necromancers, the people that translated dreams for a living, the hieroglyphics experts. And he said to them, what's the symbolism of this dream? And one man spoke up. This made him the chief advisor of Paro. The man's name was Billam. He got up and he said to Paro, I know what it means. There's going to be a child that's going to be born among the Jewish people who worship, who we, they, they graze, they allow their sheep and their goats to go around the fields. They're shepherds for their sheep and goats. One child is going to get up among the Jews and he is going to destroy this entire nation of Egypt. He's going to destroy everything. He's going to take them down. And from that, he decided he needed a plan to get rid of this Jewish boy. When was he going to be born? And Bilaam didn't have all the answers. He said, it's strange. In the stars that I see, he's a Jewish boy, but he's also an Egyptian boy. I don't understand, said Bilaam, how he could be Jewish and Egyptian at the same time. Not until much later did they figure out, everybody knows the story about the coal. Omo Shabbat reached out and he got the coal and he put it in his mouth and that's why he was no longer able to speak. He had some type of speech impediment that went right there. That coal was, again, Bilaam got up as Paro was holding Moshe on his lap. Moshe, the adopted child that Bishya had gotten. Moshe reached out onto Paro's head, grabbed the crown, put it on top of his head, and immediately Bilaam said, this is the kid. He figured it out. That's the Jewish kid, that's the non-Jewish kid. He's both. He's both. He's adopted by this and he's a Jewish child. This is the kid that's going to take over your kingdom. And that's when Paro did the entire thing. We all know that Yisro suggested, some say it was a Malaz that suggested, put out a glittering coal, like a glowing coal, and some coins that are right there and see what he reaches for. We know what happened. The Malaz slapped his hand, and Moshe was miraculously saved, and nothing happened to him. So Rabbi Yonis Nachshitz says this medrash over here, and said that that's when he went to the midwives to kill the baby boys to try to get rid of this problem. How is this measure hinted to in the Psukim? There is no hint to this in the, anywhere. Jonas and Menuziel, Targum Jonas and Menuziel, was written based on the writings. We don't have these writings of Jonas and Menuziel. Does anybody know Jonas and Menuziel was the Talmud of? He's the Talmud of who? He's a Tana. We're talking 30 BCE. 30 BCE. That's how far away, that's how long ago he lives. He's the greatest student of the 80 students of Hillel Hazakeh. We're talking a person who's older than Rebbe Akiva. 
We're talking about a person who's older than Rabbi Yoshua and Rabbi Eliezer ben Horkinus. That's how old Yonasim Nuzil is. The parish of Targum Yonasim Nuzil was written based on his, whatever he had at the time, it was based on what he wrote. And some of them are these Midrashim. Yonasim Nuzil always goes with the text. Where is this hinted to over here? So it's interesting. Parish Yonasim, which is a little parish that's written on the bottom, was written about 200 years ago, says, if you look in the Pasuk, it says the word Vayomer over here. Vayomer Melech Matzayin Lomi Aldus Ibrios. And he says the following. He didn't say anything. He was saying something, to, not to them. He was speaking to the Egyptian magicians and selling to them, saying to them, this is what I saw in my dream. By Yomer Melech Mitzrayim, La Mialdos Ho Ivrios. What he refers to over here is something that's going to call to the Jewish midwives. Pyro called out and said, I am going to need Jewish midwives. Why? Asher Shema Achas Shifra. On one side I saw the beauty of all of Egypt, of the scale. Shema Achas Pua. I saw one bleeding. Pua means to say something very softly. A bleeding lamb on the other side. That's what I saw on this scale. Shema Achas Shifra, Shema Achas Pua is not referring to the names of the Mialbos, says Yonis Menuzil. It's not referring to those. What it refers to is the scale which he saw, the two things on both sides, and one thing weighing down the other. That's a crazy shot. But that's the idea. And he told the woman, unknown woman, their names were not Shifra and Pua. That's a shot within trying to understand the scale, what he wanted them to do. But we still have to understand what he was planning. What in the world was Paro planning with all this? And then we have Victor Miller, which is a grape shot. We have Targum Yosem Ruzio, which he felt he needed to do something right away. But there are nine different paths to take on this issue. The Ibn Ezra, the Chizkuni, say something that makes a lot of sense. The nation was very large. There were three million people up front. Can you trust the to take his idea and start, you know, people and this is your God. How can you give him a He did until Yisra. By the way, as a side note, Bilaam left the nation of Egypt as soon as that happened. As soon as he saw that Moshe was going to live, he said, I'm out of here before everything goes bad. He left and took over the kingdom of Cush. And when Moshe left Mitzrayim and went to the land of Cush, he took over from that area. He was the one who took over from Bilaam. He meets Bilaam all over the place. Bilaam is all over the place. The only time he doesn't meet him is when Bilaam tries to curse Klal Yisrael at the end of his time. That's another thing altogether. But that's what happened. Bilaam left because he saw, I'm not being listened to, I'm, I'm out of here. But Yisro convinced him otherwise. Or the Malach convinced him otherwise. His mindset was, it makes sense, but I love this kid. I love this kid and my daughter loves this kid. So he didn't want to get involved with something and like hurt his daughter or do anything. But even as I was going to say, since the nation was so large, you assume there's more than two midwives. There were. The two women that he called over, Shifram Pua, were the princesses of the midwives. The, the, the ones in charge of all the midwives. They were the head nurses in two of the biggest hospitals in all of Mitzrayim. They, they were the people that were in charge. So therefore, they took the taxes from the women that birthed all the children throughout Mitzrayim. They made all the rules of everything that was there. They decided what was going to be. They worked for the government. They worked for the government. Those were the women, Shifra and Pua, says Ibn Ezra and the Chizkuni. They're the ones that he went to because they could tell all the other midwives what to do. How is he going to kill all the children that were going to be born from just two midwives? Tell two of the leaders and they'll tell everybody else. Obvious idea, right? That's one obvious idea that could go through. The Sforno says a little bit differently. He says there were only two midwives that lived in Egypt proper. Remember, where did all the Jews live? They all lived in Goshen. He wanted a trial. 
a trial basis. What would be if I got the two midwives of Mitzrayim to do this? Will they listen? And if they listen, can I extend that over to Goshen? When they didn't listen, he said, all right, this is not going to work. It's not going to work. Even in Mitzrayim, it doesn't work. It's not going to work over there. By the way, that makes a ton of sense. You know what makes a ton of sense? Go look at a map of Egypt. Go see where Goshen is. Goshen is still a place. It's all the way down by the river of Egypt, which is all the way toward the east. The Nile River, which is where the Nile Delta, which is where the, all the places that Mitzrayim were, you can see where the pyramids are, etc. Right by Cairo, right outside of Cairo, around that area in Alexandria, is a little bit up northwest. All that area, which was considered the whole land of Egypt, why in the world would Moshe have been put in the Nile River? If the if Mary, if Yochaved wanted to hide him, that means that she would have to travel from Goshen about a two or three day journey to go to Cairo to be able to put him in the river, right in Cairo, around the Nile River. There, that makes no sense. It must be that Amram and Yochaved lived in the time. And if Amram and Yochavit lived in Mitzrayim, and some say that Yochavit is Shifra, and Miriam is Pua, well, it makes sense that he went to the two midwives that lived in well, we Egypt. Well, we so there were certain people that apparently were powerful enough to live in Egypt. I would assume, again, I don't know this, but I would assume Ephraim and Manasseh, all of their kids probably all lived in Egypt. Because Ephraim and Manasseh were full citizens. They were people that were originally born there when Yosef first came down to Mitzrayim. They had an Egyptian mother. Osnas was considered an Egyptian mother. So I would assume that Ephraim and Manasseh's kids all lived there. It's the other people that lived in Goshen. Everybody else lived in Goshen. So it could be that some Shavit lady also moved to Orlando Mitzrayim proper. But I'm just pointing it out. I don't know this. I'd like somebody to show it to me if it's inside somewhere. But it makes sense to me that they lived in Egypt while everybody else lived in Goshen. What's up? I'm saying that today Goshen is, is back then Goshen. We don't know that for sure, but it does seem likely that there is a place that's called Goshen. I forgot what they call it. It's something like like that. And that place would be the place that was always known as Goshen. We do know that Goshen was toward the east. You know what, how we know about Goshen, by the way, where we get Goshen from? It was given to Sarimenu in her Ksuva from Paro when Paro wanted to marry her. That's how they got Goshen, the city of Goshen. You know where it really comes from? Goshna is where he sent Yehuda. Goshna, you know it. Nesgadol Hayasham is the three Nesgadol Hayasham the first letters are Goshna those are the letters that was the dreidel the concept of the dreidel was created when Yehuda went down to Mitzrayim the idea behind it I heard once from Rabbi Sinclair in Or Sameach tremendous idea but it's not for right now but it's a crazy crazy idea either way says the Sforno that's what he did he sent those two Egyptian midwives they were Jewish living in the heart of Egypt and he asked them to do it the Panach Raza the Balitos and the Kuyakrasay they were not Jewish Shifram were not Jewish. They were Egyptian women. And even though it says, Hamiyaldos Ha'ivrios, which sounds like the, the Jewish midwives, it's the midwives of the Jews. That's how you word it. But they were not Jewish. They were Egyptian women. And nonetheless, they thought that this edict of Paro could not be listened to. It was improper. And they were rewarded for it by Hashem. In fact, the Yalkut Ruveni says, both of these women are on a list of the greatest Hasidos Gioros of all time. He has a list, Yalkut Ruveni, of ten the greatest Hasidos Gioros of all time, and he mentions Shifra and Pua on that list of Gioros, which means they weren't Yochavit and Miriam, because they weren't Gioros. It would have to be that they're Mamish non-Jews that he took in, and that only makes more sense that they were in charge of everything. That's their opinion from the Panayach Raza, the Balitosa, the Kuyaka mentions that as well. Yes, yeah, But then the next question... I think says well, it's good reward, it's on Rashi says we're Batikuna, but that's because Rashi holds were Yochavit and Miriam. So that's the only reason why. But this, it would just say Batim. He gave them houses. According to one Medrash, by the way, the Batim that he made for them were hospitals. Why did he make hospitals? So you could see if they were telling the truth. 
if the women were giving birth without the Nialdas. So he did give them hospitals, and then they would take the babies from there and throw them into the river. That is one shot. That was the very first hospital that was created that they made specifically for women giving birth. And they did it in like a cute way. They said like, oh, we want you to be so relaxed. We want you to have a lot of babies. You're having six at a time. I'm sure that's really difficult. Come to a hospital. I'll take care of you. That was the idea. Brilliant, right? And they went, and then all their babies, the boys, were all thrown into the river, and the girls were given over to them. Right? That's what ended up happening. The Orachim HaKadosh says, Paro wanted to do this on his own. He did not want a shliach in the middle, somebody else doing it for him, because he wanted the plan to remain a secret. Why a secret? Remember what we said before. This is a civilized nation. People find out about it, things are going to go crazy. So the Orachim points out, he did it himself. And he wanted them to feel special. So he made them officers. You know what he said? You know, by Yomer Paro. You know, by Yomer Paro. Oh, what's the wording exactly? It says, by Yomer Paro, uh, Yomer Melech Mitzrayim, let me yell to the Hebrews, Asher Shema, Asher Shifra, Shem, Shem, What did he say? He said, I'm going to name you Shifra. I'm going to name you Pua. You two are going to be the top Mialdos in all of Mitzrayim. And while they're sitting there, these two women saying, oh, wow, did that come with a pay raise? And Paro's like, yeah, whatever. Right? After that happened, that's when he told them, I expect you to be on my side now. I want you to be on my side. Do what I want you to do. And the woman said, whoa, we're not taking this raise if you're going to make us kill Jews. We're not going to do it. They refused to do it. Says the Orachim HaKadosh, he thought they would be more amenable to the plan if he raised their pay, if he gave them a higher position, if he called them different names. Nonetheless, they said, no, absolutely not. There's a Benny Shine, this is a some sofa on that, whatever. The Alshech says it as well. He says, look, you two are known to be special people. I want you two to be brought up. I'm going to choose you for this job. You're going to be in charge. Nobody else would do this and nobody else would, could do this because you won't be suspected because you're so good at what you do. Nonetheless, they wouldn't listen whatsoever. That's from the Alshech. Rebbe Yitzhak was the brother of Rebchaim Belazhner. Rebchaim Belazhner, we all know, is the Talmud of... I know. The Grah. God, you know that. Rechaim Belashim made the yeshiva system that we have today. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah? All right, all right, here we go. Either way, regardless, Rabbi Yitzchak Mibelashim says there never were midwives among Klal Consider this for a second. They were Chayos, right? They were able to give birth on their own. You never needed a midwife. So for the first time, Paro got up and said, I want to make midwives so that we can kill the babies on the way out. And they weren't, they weren't lying. They told the truth. When they came in, the woman said, all right, I just gave birth to six babies on my own. You know, it's a Tuesday. I, I was fine. I didn't have any problems whatsoever. And these people that were hired specifically to be midwives had nothing to do. They couldn't do anything. So it could be, according to this shot, that they wanted to kill the babies. They were willing to kill the babies, but they just didn't get there in time. Yeah. Why were they rewarded? They were rewarded because I guess in the end they saw that these miracles were happening one after the other and then they started helping the babies. I guess that's the idea behind it, according to this shot, but it's there. The Marl Diskin said something very similar. Okay. Mayana Shaltor, okay, says something as well. That was your shot over here. He changed their names. And when you change your name, you change your atmos, your home, the hus. You're a different person. I'm Tzvi. But if I change my name to something else, I would be much less because Tzvi is the greatest name of all time. Alright? Alright? You know it. So there's no other greater name in the world. 
world, right? But if I was something else, it would be different. That's the Pshat. And have you ever been around a person whose name was changed due to sickness or something like that? We had it once. It was a guy in Skoki Yeshiva. He was going through a major, major surgery. And we asked the Shiloh, we asked a big Gadol, and the Gadol told us, change his name. And we changed his name. We put the name, we switched around his name a little bit, and we changed it a little bit. He's a brand new person. He's not the old, let's say, Joe Schmo. He is now Cloney Almoni. It's a different person. It's a different Mahus. It's a different Atmos from what he was before. Everything changes about that guy. And that's what he did. He expected them to change their attitudes. He gave them Egyptian names for that reason. Shifra and Pua. As Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky, we're going to see later on, Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky says, all names in Egypt, and we said this before, have a pay, Resh, or Ayin involved in them. Think about it. Paro, Potiphar. Shifra, Pua. Sopnas, Paneach. All of them. Basically, we don't have from the Pesukim. We don't have that from the Pesukim. Anything from the Pesukim in the Torah all deal with that. They're all there. Now, I know Ramses is a little bit off, but there is an Ayin in there. Pisom certainly was that. Pisom had the pay inside there. The only issue is Ephraim was the famous one. That's where Yaakov Kamenetsky's Chiddush, that Ephraim is an Egyptian name that the Jews took on for themselves. No offense, Pride, but they, 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 they took it on to make it something different. Menashe was for sure Jewish. He's a Kinoshani Elohim Mikolamoli. But Ephraim, why was Ephraim named Ephraim? Because Hashem allowed me to become fruitful and multiply in the land of Mitzrayim. It's all about Mitzrayim. So Ephraim, says Yaakov Kamenetsky, is a, is a non-Jewish name. It's a non-Jewish name that became Jewish, like Alexander became a Jewish name. You know a person named Alexander? I know a couple Alexanders. Alexander is not a Jewish name. It's a Greek name. But we took it on, we added it on for ourselves, and that's that. We, we took it on as something different. I'm sure there's a lot of people here that have that. Look at look through other Moraim. Sheshes, which is not a Jewish name. Akiva, Akiva's not a Jewish name. They, they took it on, and they grabbed it for themselves, and they did something different. They made it a little bit there. And Malcolm says the whole thing was a suggestion. He never commanded them to kill kids. He told them, I've got a great idea. I think we could do this and let's see if it works out. When it didn't work out, he's like, all right. That's why he didn't kill them. It was only a suggestion. He never told them to do it. I'm sorry? How did all these babies get into the river? Uh, eventually. Because remember, that happened later on. Eventually, he convinced his people to do it. And by the way, as a side note, don't think that when he went to all of Mitzrayim and he said, I think I want to kill all the babies, right? I want to kill everybody out there. Don't think that all of Mitzrayim was all like, we're in! There's still no normal person would kill babies. But once you start, all you need is one nut job. One nut job. He's like, you're telling me I can kill babies? In. In. And he's grabbing them by the leg load, right? And he's just grabbing them all and just throwing them into rivers. You need one nut. It's all you need. When Paro said it, you just need a lot of people. You need the rest of the people to not complain. The people are like, oh, that crazy guy. He keeps killing kids. Once you have that happening, that's there. And again, it deals with marketing. You become a good marketer. You know how to do it. You can kill anybody you want. But nobody talks anything about well, what happens in China. What happens when you have a second kid? You don't. Well, how did that happen? There's, there's science and nature behind that, right? Well, yeah, they, they kill kids all the time. They kill them, but they're killing them in the womb, so that makes it a little bit different, right? That makes it everything different, right? Not at all. You should know, by the way, a Ben Noach is high for killing an over, for killing a baby inside the womb. Once it hits 40 days, if a Ben Noach kills the over, he's high of Misa. If a Jew kills an over after 40 days, he's not high of Misa, but it is usser. Once the kid comes out, then he's high of Misa. That's the difference between a non-Jew and a Jew. But technically, a Jew is not high of Misa for killing. You want to know why? But this is a different issue altogether. But that is the halacha. So meaning, any, everybody in China is high of Misa. Everyone. 
Every single one of them. I, I don't mean to say it this way, like those pills that you use, like uh, that if something happens. Now again, a shyla needs to be asked if something happens. Something happens, and a person is chasfashon, taken forcibly, and wants to get rid of the baby, then a shyla needs to be asked. All shylas can be asked. There are issues. Ravad Yosef has a huge, huge chuba about when you can, when you can't, and it's based on this week's parsha, what happened over here, but what you're allowed to do, or you're not allowed to do, based on what happened with the midwives, what happened with the mialdos, and what Paro was telling them to do. Huge crazy tshuva. And he goes through a lot of stories in there as well. Now, Metrish tells us something a little bit strange. Paro sweetened this deal. And he told Shifrin Pua, listen, you do this, you kill the kids, I'll allow you to be in my harem. You want to join? You could be princesses. Not only princesses, you could be queens of all Mitzrayim. So, Shifrin Pua were good people. And they looked at him and they said, oh, you mean we could be number 742 and 743? Like, that's not for us. We're not into the whole Osama bin Laden 150,000 kids type of thing. We're not into that. And they didn't want to do it. But that was the Vayomer that he talked to them. El Shifra of El Pua was saying, you guys can be my wives. You can be my wives and you can be part of my harem if you're willing to go ahead and do it. You know what it is, says the Chassam Sofer? It's such a brilliant move. Look at this maneuver from Paro. You know what he wanted to do? He wanted to see. He was worried about one thing. I want to tell the Egyptians to kill babies. But I'm afraid they're not going to do it. Why won't the Egyptians do it? Not because they're civilized. That's not the issue, says Sam Sofer. You know why they're not going to kill babies? Because maybe it's their own kids. Maybe there's been intermarriage in between the Egyptians and the Jews, and I just don't know about it. Maybe these kids are really half Egyptian, and I just didn't realize. So you tested the Jews. And he grabbed not just these Mialdos, a bunch of different people, and offered this deal. You could be part of my harem. Who would not want to be part of Paro's harem, right? Especially in Paro's eyes. I, I, why wouldn't you want it to be part of my harem? I am willing to let you marry me if you're willing to kill Jews. And he wanted to see. What shot? Are the Jewish women willing to be with Egyptian men or no? Are they willing to marry Egyptian men or no? When Shifra Pua said no, when the women all said no to Paro, he said, well, that means that they said no to every Egyptian. Because if they said no to me, do you ever believe they're saying no to everyone? At least I hope so. Right? So Paro then realized that all the kids that were born were all Jewish. Now that they're all Jewish... What is he able to do? He can tell the Egyptians to kill him. He doesn't have to worry about the Egyptians thinking that maybe it's their babies. That's the shot. This was not of trying to get the Mialdos to actually kill babies. He didn't even care about that. That wasn't the plan. The plan was to try to see, are they half Egyptian babies or are they all Jewish babies? When he found out they're all Jewish, he's like, okay, now i got a chance. Now I have the ability to tell these Egyptians to do something and they're going to actually listen to me and everything's going to work out well. That's the concept behind it. There's an Abir Yaakov on this. Remember the Abir Yaakov? Grandfather of the... Probastali. Quite different. We're going a little bit different. Now, Biri Yaakov, Yaakov Abu'l-Khatsera. Yaakov Abu'l-Khatsera, tremendous trend. He says in exact, very, very similar to all this. To me, I honestly, I, I, listen, I have no rise for this except for a shach. Only, I always thought, it makes sense that Paro never told them to kill all the boys. It just makes sense to me. It makes sense that he told them, do what you can. Maybe they said, maybe Shipper and Poole were told, kill all the healthy looking boys. You see a baby that looks really healthy, kill him. You see weaker boys, let them live. I'm okay with the weak ones. I'm not okay with the strong ones. I would assume that that's what he said. Maybe that that's what he did. And the shot says it as well. He only said they could have a couple babies. They have six babies at a time, right? Kill four. Kill three. 
Right? It's not that big of a deal. They're not going to notice. Who's going to notice that? That makes the most sense to me. All right, now we get into Rashi. I think we all understand this. This is one of the famous words out there. Who worship Rampula? Yeah, what's up, Yuda? Why wouldn't they? Right. See, that's a good call in of itself. We've first talked about that a little bit. Where Paro was seriously worried about how many kids were born at a time. It's a serious thing. Let, let's think for a second. Can we put ourselves in Paro's shoes? You're sitting there, king of all of Mitzrayim. You don't believe in God, or at least their God. There's no way you believe in it whatsoever, right? All of a sudden, a nation, an alien nation that lives among you, that you can't really get rid of because they really helped you one day, you know, years and years and years ago, 130 years ago, right? This nation is populating like rats. There's tons of them, and they're not stopping. There's just so many of them, time after time after time again. What would you do? What does Europe do when they have a serious Arab problem? What do they do? What are you going to do with this stuff? Just putting yourself in Paro's position, you can at least understand why he was seriously worried. You did. That's really what you're saying. He was seriously worried, and I'm sure there were Egyptians that were on that side. Listen, they're having six babies at a time. They're not going to miss four of them, right? They're not going to miss four of them. What's the big deal? I'm sure there were people that held that way. I'm sure there were people that thought that way. Now everybody knows the Gemara and Sotei Yudalvim Beis. We all know this, and we all have heard it before. And I said it earlier. The Shifron Pool were Yocheved and Miriam. It's Machlok is Rav and Shmuel. What's the other opinion? It's either Everybody agrees that Shipra is Yochaved and Pua is either Miriam or Elisheva. Who is Elisheva? The wife of Aram, the, son, the daughter-in-law of Yochaved. Here's a great shot that's brought down by the by the, the by one of these mephorshim of the Ir Binyamin. Somebody crazy. I don't think I'm going to say it out loud. Check it out a little bit later. Why were they named Shipra and Pua? So we know Shipra. Shipra means beauty. Shapir, right? Shapir means beauty. So Shipra beautified the baby by shaping him. Now, I, I don't know if you've ever been there at a live birth. Okay? When the baby comes out from whatever, and I've been there for six of them, right? All mine. So the baby's head is shaped like the weirdest shape you've ever seen before in your life. See that Coke bottle? It's right around that, right around there, right around there. It just doesn't fit. And you're looking and you're like, Coneheads was real. <laughs> you, honestly, you have absolutely no idea what to do. It's awful. Like the fingers, the toes. There's like it looks like there's 140 of them. You really have no idea what to do. It's a scary little thing to look at. They shaped the head. They shaped it a little bit. And back in the day, they really did it. They like moved the head around and they moved it around. The Gemara even talks about this on Shabbos. Why are the Babylonians' heads all round in such a way that they look weird? Instead of being oval shaped like ours, they were roundish heads. And the way that he answered, Hillel Azakin answered and said, because the midwives are really bad. They're really bad at their jobs. They don't know how to move the heads around so much. Right? Punch it a little bit. They turn it around a little bit. These things aren't working out the best way. Shifra knew how to make the baby look beautiful in the eyes of its mother. Now, Grant all mothers, even if the kid is a little prune or a raisin, right, still the mothers all love what their babies look like. It doesn't make that much of a difference. The kid could be the ugliest kid in the world. And nonetheless, the mother's like, this is the most beautiful baby in the world, isn't it? And you still have to look at them and say, yes. Very beautiful. And if you say anything different, 
you're dead. We all know that, right? But this is what Shifra was known for. She was able to make it. The Bala Turim says a crazy shot. She was able to resuscitate them. Now, I had this happen with one kid, where one kid had so much phlegm that he had swallowed in fluid when he was in, I don't know if it was phlegm, it was fluid, that he had swallowed when he was in the womb, right, of my wife, that when she was coming out, so when they came out, immediately they had to put a pipe, a tube, all the way down and suck out the little fluid that was inside the lungs of the child. It was unbelievable. In order to make sure the child was able to breathe, they had to do that. They, they, he was breathing, but it wasn't breathing well, and he wasn't getting enough breaths in per minute. So they went in, they took this little tube and put it in. It's unbelievable. The Balaturim says that's what Shifra did. Shifra had a little tube, a little straw, that she would put inside the baby's mouth and suck it out. I would assume they didn't have the machine, and they would actually do it by like, like that, and then spit it out somewhere. To me, that, okay, whatever. But regardless, Shifra was able to do that and get the stuff out of the lungs that the baby would be able to breathe. That's what Shifra did. Shvoferis is the Lushan. Shvoferis is the little pipe that was able to do it. The Kliyakr says that she became beautiful. Remember, Yocheved changed her look. She was old. She was 130 years old. And yet she looked beautiful when she remarried Amram. She was Shifra because she was made beautiful again and looked like she was much younger than she was. Therefore, she's called the beautiful one. Of course, the Panach Raza is one of the greatest gematras of all time. Mialdos is a gematra 484, which is a gematra of Yochaved Baslevi. That's an impressive one, right? It's not off by one. It's exactly as it is. There's an ama- that's an amazing shot that Shipro was referring to Yochaved. Yeah, what's up? Oh, Mialdos is two. The what? Mialdos is both of them. Yochaved is only one of them. Mialdos. Oh, so it's interesting. The Panach Raza actually, in his gematria, writes the word Mialdos as it's written in the Pasuk without the vav, because it's referring to one and not both. That's how the Raza de Meir says it. And therefore, Yochaved Basmerim is missing a vav. If you'll see on my sheet, it's missing a vav and missing a vav in both. For that very reason, because Mialdos is really Mialedes. That's exactly what he was saying over there. It's a great call, though. You see what The Shach says on both Shifra and Pua that they were able to daven. We'll get to that in a second. Rashi says, why was she named Pua? She was named Pua because she was able to calm down the babies. Miriam had this idea, or Elisheva had an ability to calm down babies that are crying, which is a skill that I would love to have. The Kliyakr said that she was a prophetess. This is Miriam. She had an ability to speak to babies, to calm them down and stop crying because she would speak out nevuos of them as they were coming out. Meaning, she would be able to say to them things that they needed to hear to calm them down. And a Kaddish who put the right words in her mouth to say to them, it's got to be awesome to be a Navi. I wish I was a Navi. But that's that. She had a special way to speak to everyone. She was able to make everything go in the perfect way. The Das the Canaan says a Medrash. Never seen this Medrash. The Medrash is not mentioned in the Medrash Rabbah, the Medrash Tanchum, and the Alkut Shimoni. But says that she talked to the babies who didn't want to come out. And she would talk to the babies and convince them to come out. And say certain words to make them come out. According to the Shach, she davened that the child should come out. She would daven and say words to HaKadosh Baruch Hu and beg that the baby should come out and that everything should be healthy and the baby should be born in the best possible way. That's the idea over here. Kali always points out, points out. Amazing, right? These two great women did a lot of great things in their lives. I mean, this is, Miriam was the leader of the women throughout Kali Yisrael's history, right? Yocheved was the mother of Moshe Rabbeinu. And they're known as Shifra and Poor because of what they did with the little kids. Because how they help little kids be birthed. I mean, it's amazing. Why don't we know them by their names? Yochaved, right? That Yochavod, that she gave Kavod to HaKadosh Baruch Miriam, that the bitterness was made through. But we call them Shifra and Pua because of these little things that they were able to do with babies. And he answers, because a person gains perfection by serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu with all of his kochos. Such an important lesson for us. You know what you're good at. You know what you're not good at. 
And the way you should be serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu is by using the special co-hosts that you have and specializing in those and not ignoring them and saying, no, 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 those are not important enough for me to use. I have to act in this way. And if I act in this way, everything will be good. No. Use your co-hosts in the best possible way and build on them and that makes you great. You know what made Yochavet and Miriam great? Because they were awesome with children. And they were tremendous balos mechanech. They were mechanchen, mechanchos. They were able to help out every child that came to them, doing everything they needed to do. Rick Sternbach adds on, this is the greatest praise that any woman could get, that they are perfect at raising children and making sure that they're always going to be okay. It's unbelievable, right? Take that woman's live, you know? That's not, that's, that's the exact opposite of what they say, that no, raising babies is not her. It's that. Use this to become great. And if you use it correctly, look what happened to Yochav and Amir. Look how special they became. So we end off with one. We've ended the last three weeks. End the last three weeks with this concept, right, of where we've been going Jogulim wise. We've gotten Yaakov Avinu, we got to Yosef Atzadik. So listen to this. The Tzarish Shlomo says that these two women were not just some ladies. Yocheved was a Gilgal of Chaba. Remember, Hevel and Shace, Hevel and Shace, which were the sons of Chaba, are Moshe Rabbeinu as well. Moshe stands for Mem Shinhei, Moshe, Shace, Hevel. That's where he's from. He came from both Shace and Hevel. And Yochebed is a Gilgal of Chava. How many years did Chava go without having a child between Hevel and Shace? How many years were there? 130. How old was Yochebed when she gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu? 130. Yochebed davened for 130 years. 130 years, he says, that Klai will be filled with children and therefore saw her bracha being fulfilled. The pshat is, not that literally she was a midwife of Klal Yisrael. She might have been, but that's not the shot behind the Pusik, says the, says the Tzar Shlomo. The shot behind the Pusik is that she davened for 130 years that all the children should be born in Klal Yisrael. It was in her schutz that all the children were born and ended up living, and that they had six at a time, and that the children were healthy, and that the children were strong. It was in her schutz. She was the one who davened for everybody else. She was the one that caused all those babies to be born and in the end she was the one who allowed for Moshe Rabbeinu the Moshiach of Klai Yisrael to come into the world that's the concept says the first Shlomo and that's a good sikum to the last two weeks when we've been dealing with how Yaakov Avinu was supposed to be Adam Rishon how Yosef Atzadik could have been out. okay whatever we, we, that's something else for another time but regardless this is an idea of where we can go through to try to understand this in a certain way alright so what do we do we went through and we understood where Victor Miller's is sowed in how to understand Sefer Shmo we gave this crazy message from Yonas and Benuzil, Targum Yonas and Benuzil. We gave nine different drachen, the ideas of what it meant, the stories of how Paro could have thought this was going to work. We went to the Medrash Rabbah of how he sweetened the deal and offered for them to be wives, and they refused, and what his plan was, says the Chassam Sofer. We went through Rashi, why they were named Shifra, why they were named Pua, the different ideas that went through, and then we skipped a bunch over here. If you want to look down, I have a Revolson, and here Ben Yama was a tremendous, tremendous idea, and Rav but at the very end, the fact that Yochavid was supposed to be from Chava in order to bring about somebody like Moshe Binu. We'll stop with here, everybody. Have a great shot.